Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today. I've got a great interview for you with my friend, Jimmy Rose from Cotivity. He is the Vice President of Employee Experience, and uh, I got to know Jimmy recently he has been a longtime subscriber and fan of the podcast and has been tuning in a lot of, to a lot of my live interviews on LinkedIn. And so we started chatting and ended up getting on Zoom and talking about all the things that he's been doing in his career and with Cotivity now, talking about doing some work together. And I was just really impressed with the approach he's taken to building uh, development programs and especially employee experience and onboarding. And so I wanted to get him on to share some of his thoughts on those things with the hope that it will inspire you to uh, up your game with regards to employee experience and maybe onboarding and building in some self-awareness into your leadership development programs as well. If you are looking for more inspiration, I wanted to let you know, remind you that we have a lot of great webinars and content on our sponsor site, advantageperformance.com, things about unconscious bias, using multipliers concepts uh, to lead through crisis, career development from my friend Christine DiDonato, shifting in times of crisis, and so much more. Uh, so just head on over to our sponsor website, advantageperformance.com. And now here is my interview with Jimmy Rose. All right, I'm live with Jimmy Rose, Vice President of Employee Experience at Cotiv- <laughs> Now I pronounce it, now I can't stop pronouncing it wrong. Cotivity, Thanks, Vice President Andy. of Employee Experience at Cotivity. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. I know the name is hard to pronounce. Oh my, I always want to say Cotaviti. Yeah, yeah. It's actually it's actually meant to be a uh, a combination of collaboration and creativity. So that's Cotivity. Awesome. Well, marketing, right? Yeah, I, now I get it. Okay, cool. We want to talk today about employee experience and onboarding, as well as maybe a little bit of career development as well. And uh, I wanted to share that with our audience. I think it's something that's important for everybody to learn about. Before we do, let's start with a little bit of uh, who you are and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thanks. So I'm a Georgia boy, born and bred and grew up on the coast in Savannah and uh, went to Georgia Tech for uh, my bachelor's degree, wound up getting 
a couple of degrees in industrial engineering from there. And when I graduated, well, when I picked industrial engineering as a major, it was the most sought after engineering was like third in the country on that uh, U.S. News and World Report article that comes out every year at that ranking. And then when I graduated, it had dropped to the bottom. And so (laughs) I was really looking for a job. And back then, you know, typing was still a skill that people needed. And I could type about 125 words a minute. And so I was hired by a company to type their business plan. And that's how I got into healthcare was a healthcare startup called First Physician Care. And then I moved to another startup and stayed in the healthcare realm and was in operations for 20 years. I was typically the guy when there was a problem, they would say, oh, well, let's throw Jimmy on that problem and see what happens. And I kind of gained a reputation as the fix-it guy. But something that I noticed was that throughout my entire career in operations, talent development and culture in the organization were really important and really central to everything that I did. And so I talked with our CEO and, and our, our COO, and I said, you know, I think I've, I've probably contributed as much as I know how to contribute in operations. I'd really like to get into HR and advance what we're doing in talent development. And they said, go for it, which was a great thing you know, to have leaders in the company who would you know, hear and find an opportunity and, and be okay with that, that kind of switch. And so that's how I wound up in human resources as the VP of employee experience. Yeah. So this idea of employee experience, I mean, you and I kind of live and breathe it and talk about it every day, but not everybody may be familiar with that. Uh, so tell me, like, what does employee experience mean and why is it so important? Well, I think it's probably important to separate it from, you know, the HR structures. Like for me, what is reporting into me is internal communications, organizational effectiveness, performance management employee engagement, learning and development, all of those kinds of things. Um, And that may not be true for everybody in an employee experience role in, in another company, but what we're all concerned about are the moments that matter for employees from their first experience with the company as a potential employer to what is the experience like when they finally leave And so are we creating an environment? Are we creating a set of experiences in the peaks and troughs of your life cycle with the employer, with Cotivity, that make you want to stay, that make you feel valued, that allow you to contribute at your highest level? That's how I see employee experience. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. A lot of people and companies talk about customer experience and how important it is to treat your customers well. We don't hear as much about employee experience, but 
I've heard the mantra that your customer experience will never exceed that of your employee experience. Do you guys think the same way? I certainly believe that. I mean, you know, one of our values, our corporate values is customer focus. It's not employee focus, but (laughs) we do recognize that without employees who are engaged in what they're doing, who believe in the purpose of our company, that it's really tough to sell that business and it's tougher to operate that business, (laughs) you know, if you don't really believe it. So experience for the employee has to be there. It has to be as big and as important as we strive for excellence in the customer experience too. They just look different in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. I mean, you're talking about two different focuses, but they're certainly related because your employees are the ones that are providing that great experience to the customers, right? And if your employees are having a terrible experience, they don't like coming to work, they're probably not going to treat their employees very well, right? So you want to treat your employees well (laughs) so they'll treat your, your customers well. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. And sometimes people get confused with that, with culture, with having, you know, massages in the office or ping pong table or whatever. And that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about creating an environment in the company where employees feel supported and trusted, like they matter and like what the work they do matters. And, you know, it might be great to have an environment that's playful or that, you know, accepts play and and creativity in that way, in the same way that you might see in those iconic representations of, you know, of Google and their office space or or IDEO. But at the heart of it, it's not about the environment only. It's, It's not about that. It's about what we're creating for the employees to feel worthwhile and valued and like they're contributing something that matters. Yeah, absolutely. And there are all different aspects to employee experience where people talk about the fact that it starts with recruiting, right? And finding the right people and how they're treated through that process, whether they're hired or not. And of course, there's a lot about development and what happens when people leave the company. But one of the big focal points, one of the most important parts of that influence is that employee experience and how employees feel about the company they are with is that onboarding experience, right? How does it feel when they walk in the door? Are they welcomed? Are they treated? like family, or they just hand them a laptop and tell them to get to work. So uh, I know you've got a lot of experience building great onboarding programs. What do you think is essential to a successful onboarding program? Well, I think at its very simplest, it's caring about what that new employee experiences when they walk in. And it's putting the need to have that caring exhibited in a, you know, in a physical fashion, like what are the markers that show the employee that you care about them when they arrive? And it's simple things in some cases, like ensuring that their name is already on their cube or on at their desk or something that it's spelled correctly. It's the name that they prefer rather than the name that's on the W-2. It's knowing that right away that there's someone who they can contact, that their network within the company is already being built. You know, one of the things that we are are trying to to push out to the entire organization is a buddy system. And that's not novel, right? It's not novel to have a buddy when you come in. But what we're trying to do is have that buddy communication start anywhere from two weeks to four weeks actually before the start date so that there's a relationship that's starting between another person in the company who can answer all the weird questions like, well, where do I park and how does that work? And what is it going to be okay really to wear on the first day? And what's it like to work with Jimmy? And, you know, it's just sort of get the honest scoop so that when they come in the first day, they actually feel like 
they know more. They know something that's useful. And a lot of the jitters can be removed. And so that's one way that we exhibit that caring feeling to employees, um, as opposed to, you know, the other things. And some of it we don't always do great. Like, you know, there's the compliance training that everybody has to go through. That's just one of those hurdles that you have to get through. And some companies find interesting and cool ways to do that. I don't think we've found an interesting and cool way to do it. (laughs) But that's only one aspect of onboarding. I think onboarding in classes, so in, you know, in groups, in light groups, has a huge capacity to build a sense of community and belonging within that group. And we've had a lot of success with that in the past. So what you mean is instead of bringing people in and singularity one at a time, try to bring people in classes or cohorts so they have that bonding experience of starting together. And I've been in companies like that where you always remember the people that you started together, especially if you go to like a a boot camp or an onboarding program together, you kind of build that rapport, that trust, that friendship throughout and people that you can go to to say, hey, I'm struggling with this or I'm trying to figure this out. And similarly, you mentioned the buddy system too. So you give everybody a buddy when they come in. I assume this is someone that's been with the company for a little while, a volunteer who can help kind of mentor them and show them the way. Right, exactly. And I think the buddy volunteering is a pretty critical aspect to that because if you assign a buddy and that buddy feels like, oh, I'm being graded on this or it's going into my goals in the performance management system to, you know, to be this buddy, the, the engagement with the buddy is more perfunctory. It's you need a buddy who really wants the experience for the new employee to be great. They want to share it. And that's not a role for everybody, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's almost like great buddies are born, not assigned. So you have to be careful with that. And I think the buddy volunteering is a key marker on whether or not that person is, is ready for that task. How do you find people to volunteer for that stuff? You have to be watchful. I think you have to look for the people who naturally do it well, who seem to just naturally buddy up with somebody, uh, with a new employee, people who are friendly, want to share. But you have to be looking for that. You can't do it past. Well, I guess it is kind of a passive thing. You're constantly looking for it in the background. It can't expect that it's just going to come walking through your door. You have to go out and find it. Right. you got to keep your eyes open for yeah. that talent, those people that you know could be great mentors, leaders, as you would with the managers, you know, hiring, promoting managers and anything else. You and I have talked in the past, Jimmy, I know you've been involved in building some great leadership development programs while you've been there. And one thing I remember that struck out, and we were very aligned on this, is in one of the capstone programs you built, it started with self-awareness. And I wonder if you could talk about the importance of that, because a lot of programs, they just go right into what it means to be a leader or whatever it may be, without starting with that understanding yourself. Yeah, I think that's absolutely critical. Self-awareness is really where we learn whether or not someone is going to be coachable at all. And understanding how people feel about coaching, how they assess their own ability to learn and what the gap is between where they are right now and where they could be is an important starting point. And it sort of is the indicator of how well they're going to do in the rest of the program. Because if you're working with someone with little self-awareness who thinks they're really already at the top of their game, then how much are they really going to accept? How much will they learn that might be contrary to their natural instincts? So we've found that starting off with a 360 process and then also some 
carefully selected psychometrics. There's a lot of controversy about the utility of, of psychometrics. And I would never say, let's put our hiring decisions and our promotion decisions down to the result of a psychometric test. But I think once you pick one that's got good science behind it and you learn to use it well, then it can be really helpful in understanding how this person will interact with others you know, in the learning environment. It helps guide and coach them. So I'm a proponent of that and the 360, which I think is very powerful. Yeah. Do you have any uh, partners or tools that you've used that you recommend in that area? So we had a lot of good luck with the Hogan, which I'm sure some of your listeners will be familiar with. Yep. I know that there's a lot of negativity in out there around the MBTI and the science behind that. I'll say one thing in favor of it. If you've used it and know how to use it and interpret the results, there's benefit in the language that it offers, particularly around helping people communicate. And that's probably where I've found the most value with the MBTI is building bridges for communication between people. That has not generally been a tool that we use at the start of a learning session, but is usually baked into some other part of the program, like on how to communicate with impact, because it's a great shorthand for understanding differences in how people interpret communication. Yeah, it's a simple way. And I've heard those controversies too, right? But it's a simple way to understand that, hey, there are very, people have different personalities, different communication styles. And it's a way to relate to people. I mean, I took the that Myers-Briggs assessment when I was in business school in like 2007, actually 2005. And 15 years later, I still talk to people all the time like, oh, what's your type? What's your type? And then (laughs) you guess people's type, right? And then you kind of get to know them like, oh, okay, you're this or you're that. And you also, one of the things that it did for me for a long time and helps me educate other people is truly understanding what it means to be an extrovert versus introvert. Sure. Instead of like the stigmas that come with those right. people, like introverts <laughs> don't like people or extroverts are just noisy and talkative or whatever. No, it's more about the energy, where you get your energy and, and how you interact. Yeah. Yeah. It creates a, it creates a common language to talk about personality differences and whether or not it holds up a hundred percent to the science or is as predictive as some others. I think is not always the relevant point. It depends on how you're going to use it. And with any psychometric test, you have to be really careful about the purpose behind it and what you're trying to get out of it. Yeah. Okay. So I have to ask, what is your type, Timmy? Oh, I'm ENTJ. ENTJ. All right. When I took it, I always thought I was ENTJ, but then I realized years later that I'm definitely ENTP because I'm very disorganized. (laughs) (laughs) As you can tell, I showed up late for this interview, um, as I do for a lot of things. Yeah, and I was I was on 15 minutes early. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. That just proves it. You are an ENTJ, and I'm definitely an ENTP. And I, fun fact, I also got certified many years ago in the Hogan, but I haven't really used it. But one of my big takeaways from the Hogan that I think is, I can see how it's so useful, especially at the executive level, and and you know, for as leaders move higher up in the ranks, is how our strengths can become our weaknesses or can sabotage us. And it's similar in the multipliers program I run how things that can serve you well as an individual contributor early in your career can then backfire when you become a manager and you're trying to lead people. And and to me, the Hogan was a great way to build awareness around, okay, these are the things that could go too far and I need to keep an eye on this. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I love that that learning in multipliers about how you can, your strength can be an unintentional diminisher to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's so true about our development as we go through our careers that you know, what was useful at one point 
is not necessarily going to be the same useful skill set or a good tool in your toolbox as you're in a different role or at a different level in the organization. You constantly have to develop. You can't rely on every every tool that you developed or you know every skill that was helpful before. We have to grow and evolve as the role changes for us. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to change over time. We're going to change over time. But one of the things that's true, I think, as I've learned from working a lot of organizations is the higher up you go, the more senior you get, the less feedback you get, right? The more intimidated people are and people just agree with you, right? They don't give you the feedback you need and it becomes harder to improve. And that's why I think self-awareness is so essential in leadership. And some of the leaders, a lot of leaders that fail, it's because they're lacking that self-awareness. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for a long time, I worked in an organization where we all agreed that we would treat feedback as a gift. Mm, And having that as kind of a unintentional value of the organization was really powerful because you can open the gift. You don't have to keep it, right? (laughs) It's not necessarily great and it might not be useful. It may not even be accurate, but if you treat it as a gift, then you can accept it and look at it from a good point of view that isn't about being defensive around it or, you know, feeling attacked by it, but treat it as a gift. And that particular leadership team was very open to feedback and fairly regularly did 360s, you know, on themselves. And the, the 360 view went pretty deep into the organization. So they were really guided by feedback. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website again is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show. I spent seven years working for BTS, the global consulting firm. And that's one thing I learned when I started there, that feedback is a gift. And we got it often. Every program we ran, if there was somebody watching, <laughs> you would get feedback. But that's how I became a really great facilitator because I would uh, often have observers or we'd practice in the office where we got out. And it was always tough every time. But then I would learn from the feedback and I would get better. And I'm still learning from that all the time, just trying to improve because that is a gift. And I like what you said. You don't always have to accept it, (laughs) but there are ways that that's a way we can improve. Speaking of that, you know, I mentioned like feedback was ingrained in the the culture of the company I came from. We talked about employee experience and onboarding, kind of setting the stage when you come in somewhere. What are a couple of things? The topic of culture is so complex, but what do you think are a couple other elements that are really important to creating a great culture? Well, I think it's very difficult to build a culture from the inside out. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there has to be a unifying force at the top leadership of the company that sets the direction and says, this is what we're about. And it needs to be simple. <laughs> it needs to be simply said so that you can latch yourself onto it. 
at a level where someone's day-to-day job does not feel very grandiose, they need to see the bigger picture. And there's an old story about, you know, someone taking a walk along the road and they come across who's on the ground laying some bricks. And they ask, well, what are you doing? He's, I'm, I'm laying bricks. And they walk a little further and they come along to the next person who's a little further along in the job. So what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm building a wall. And they come to the third person who's a little further along, you know, in the construction process. And they ask this person, you know, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. That's the person who sees the big picture and can directly relate their day-to-day work to what's being built, what in a metaphorical sense as well (laughs) as the physical sense. And so that's probably the biggest key is defining the purpose behind what we're all doing. And culture, I think, can be easily defined as how work gets done. It's not the posters on the wall. It's not the expression of the values. Those things all feed it. But culture is about how do we get the work done here? And if it doesn't start with an understanding of why the work is important in the first place, I think you really have a lot of trouble building building a culture that's lasting or meaningful to people. Yes, it's a strong connection to the strategy, what we're doing, to the purpose people understanding why they're doing what they're doing, which is so underrated that people, there's not enough guidance given on that. And then pride of ownership in the organization is what I heard too about the cathedral story. Mm-hmm. And it actually reminded me, this is maybe it's a silly example, but it really stuck out to me. A couple of days ago, I was uh, grocery shopping in a grocery store called the Fresh Market, which is a, a chain out of North Carolina. I'm sure yeah. you guys have them there in Atlanta. We do. And I went to the deli manager and I asked him if he had any, I think it was ricotta cheese. And he said, it would be over there. And he pointed across the other side of the store to the dairy section. And he said, if I have any, it would be over there. And it really struck me when he said that, that it wasn't if they have any, it wasn't if we have any, if I have any. It was like, it just, to me, it felt like he was taking complete ownership of this, like the inventory that they had. I don't know why I got like emotional about this moment as like a talent (laughs) moment, passionate person, but I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I was walking around the corner thinking about it. And I came around another corner and he was walking across towards me, holding it out. He went and got it and was handing it to me, it over to me. And I just thought that was really cool. Like you don't see that in too many stores. The service was great and it makes me want to go back there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I first learned about this. Oh my gosh, it was 1998. <laughs> and it was at the Disney Institute. And they told a story about the whole seminar for the couple of days we were there was really about customer service and and how you deliver customer service in the Disney way. And one of the stories that I've carried with me forever was about answering questions. And the example that they gave was, you know, a park goer, a guest, as they call them, going up to an employee or cast member, as they call them, and saying, what time is the three o'clock parade? Okay, so (laughs) sounds like a pretty obvious answer. Three o'clock, you bozo. And they say, well, no, here's how we want that question to be answered. The three o'clock parade will come by here at about 3.15. If you want to get the best pictures possible of the parade, I want you to go stand over there by that bench. You'll get the best pictures as the parade comes by. But I see you've got small children with you. If you want to have a chance for Jasmine and Aladdin to come out and dance with your kids, then go stand over there by that tree because that's where they're going to stop. And you'll get a good chance to become part of the parade if you stand over there. Now, the difference between the two answers of 
the three o'clock parade starts at three o'clock. Right. You bozo <laughs> versus all this other information, which is the stuff that the person really wants to know, but didn't really know how to articulate. That's the difference between somebody who's caught the fire and the other person who's doing the job. I love that. That's a great story, a great example. And that's why Disney's so good at what they do, the Disney magic. Yeah. Jimmy, thinking back across your career so far, what's been your greatest accomplishment or proudest moment in your career? Well, you know, I think one of the things I'm most proud of doing was was the last college hire program that I built. And this was something that really just started completely by accident. We were preparing to put a book out in the market to to either sell the company or to merge or really to give our investors some relief that they, they were ready to get out and we needed to find some new capital investors in some fashion or another. And my CEO came to me and said, hey, Jimmy, you're about to get really busy. You need to hire somebody who can take about 30% of your work off your plate, like right away. And we had just gone through another hiring program and I said, okay, well, just give me those resumes. And so I started looking through the resumes and I, I hired this guy right out of college. He was, you know, all of 22 and literally had just graduated from Georgia Tech. The, he was the seed point for an entire program that we built over the next couple of years that brought in classes of college students and essentially created great corporate citizens. And this group, there's probably about 17 who went through the program that started in 2013. They don't work for Cutivity anymore. Most of them don't. They've moved on to other roles, but they're all still very close. I'm still in contact with them. They still contact me for coaching and mentoring and advice on how to buy a wedding ring and you know, <laughs> just life advice, those kinds of things. But they're still together. They still have parties together. They rely on that network that they started building with us so many years ago to help leverage each other's experience and capability in their careers as they go forward. So yeah, they created great value for Cotivity when they were part of that program. But what they're doing, I think now, is even bigger than what I imagined. And being part of that, being their coach at the very start, I think is one of my proudest moments. That's awesome. I love that. Flip side, what's been your biggest failure or mistake and what did you learn from it? Um, I think my biggest failure was, <laughs> I think it was probably assuming that I knew a lot more about something than I really did. And it's very, very early on, there's a lot of pressure in this startup. And I was put in the role of developing marketing. Now, like I'm an industrial engineer. What do I know about marketing? But I sort of figured... Well, you know, I'm smart. I've got a couple of degrees from Georgia Tech. I graduated pretty high in the class and I can probably figure this out. And I think the mistake was not granting credibility to the depth of knowledge in a particular domain, right? Like, oh, I can figure this out on my own. I can learn it really fast. And there are experts for a reason. And Learning that early on, I think, really helped me later <laughs> to, because I could quickly identify through my own self-awareness, like, I don't have it, and there's no way that I can have it. And so I need to find the person who does, whether they are outside the company or inside the company. And if we go back to multipliers, right, I mean, that is another key idea there of being a liberator, right, yep. and being the debate maker. I don't have to be at the center 
I can recognize that other people have great ideas to start with and they don't have to hear my ideas first or at all. Yeah. Learning that back in, you know, 2000 was, was very freeing for the rest of my career, I think. Uh, Yeah, that is so cool. And I love the reference to multipliers. We definitely speak the same language, of course, referring to the book by Liz Weissman. And I also run a program based on that where we teach people about these concepts and how to be a multiplier and avoid those diminisher tendencies. And there's a lot of things we do to accidentally diminish our people. And we get to learn those lessons along the way, which is great. Jimmy, is there a trend in talent development that you've been following closely? Uh, a trend in talent development. I think that what I'm seeing is a more global awareness that this is an actual thing, that it's not enough to just throw out some learning and development opportunities or have a career development conversation once a year during the annual review, that we already know that that's not enough. But I think I'm seeing companies understand maybe for the first time that that there really is more there there. And I'm, so I'm, I'm seeing my colleagues struggling with building this for the first time and looking for support from their senior leadership. Like the senior leadership recognizes, okay, this is an important thing, but we have no idea how to get there. And so I'm seeing more and more of my colleagues, you know, kind of grasping for how do I quickly build a point of view around what talent development really is and can be for an organization. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. It's real. And it's a very important and strategic part of most all organizations out there, at least that I talk to, which is great. Jimmy, we already talked about multipliers. Is there another book that you often recommend or has made a big impact on you? Yeah. So I knew you were going to ask that question. (laughs) So I've been thinking a lot about it. And there's a book I read about two years ago called Hacking Innovation. It's by a guy named Josh Linkner, who's a a speaker and innovator. And he's written several other books, but this particular book I found really interesting. He takes a look at the world, the kind of CD underside of computer hacking and, you know, takes that kind of dark and mysterious world and drags it into the light and then extracts, well, what are they doing that allows them to do these terrible things and these these dangerous and damaging things? But what are they doing that we can apply to the positive side of innovating in a company or in a marketplace? And so, you know, that comparison between the seamy underside of activity, but that there is something incredible to be learned about how to pivot, how to do more with the little that you have. He calls it getting scrappy. (laughs) But I thought it had amazing insights for how to apply the ideas of innovation to anything that you're doing. I like it. Yeah, I haven't read that one. I'll have to check it out. 
And a last question for you, Jimmy, for anybody listening who is looking for ways to accelerate their own careers and become more successful in the world of talent development, what's one more piece of advice you would give? I think leverage this time that we're here at home for your own learning. There's incredible resources at your fingertips and so many people like you (laughs) are offering free opportunities to expand and grow. And I'm still working the full day. It's like, so where's the extra time come from? But I no longer have three hours in the car. I don't have an hour and a half commute each way to the office. And that has created an immense opening in my calendar to do things that I really struggled to find the time with before. So look for those moments, you know, accept the invitations that you've got to be getting, you know, by the handful um, and check out some of these webinars and expand your network. That's how you and I met. It's been really a very enervating and exciting time just in the area of, of learning more about the things that I love. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you completely. I'm big on investing time consistently in learning and development as well as networking. And I know we've both been doing that. Our sponsor, Advantage Performance Group, has been doing a weekly webinar series. And we've had a lot of great webinars so far. The Secret Sauce of Digital Learning, Uncovering Gender Bias, Multipliers. The next one coming up, at least from when you and I are recording right now, uh, is all about career development with my friend and colleague, Christine DiDonato. So if anybody's looking for some great webinars to check out, head over to AdvantagePerformance.com. And there are just a whole bunch right on there. Uh, Jimmy, this has been fantastic. I know people can find you on LinkedIn if they want to connect. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on and uh, share some of your experience with us. Thanks, you, Andy. I really enjoyed it. It was great fun. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.